Aloha! Welcome to the most muscleless and podcast in Bay Area Sports. Welcome to ABC7 Sports. With authority! We are inside the ABC7 Sports Department. I'm Casey Pratt. That's Larry Beal, Leonard, super producer behind the cameras. And we are ready to rip. And that's the big dig going on behind us right now. It's an archaeological site, and we're hoping it means we're not artifacting later. Yeah, or well, now. I, I just learned about artifacting. That's a digital that term. A, that is a technical term, artifacting. Look it up Breaking after the podcast. Breaking the fourth wall. It's, uh, it's a problem with a camera, my camera. So stop artifacting, because I'm watching you. <laughs> oh, by the way, uh, back there at the construction site, they found a coin from the gold rush days, 1851. An 1851 coin. I wonder. I don't know what it's worth, but man, that's kind of cool. That is insane, actually. Yeah. I would like. I'd prefer like a Spanish gold doubloon, but I'll take any kind of <laughs> golden you coin. Just, you wanted to say doubloon? <laughs> that's, that's. I don't even know. That's, that's the, right. The only. Re- I know you sounded like you're trying to sell it, but not really sure what it is. That's oh okay. My. That's right. That's what book learning is for, Casey. I didn't do much book learning. I know you're not much for that. Uh, let's talk about what the Warriors have learned because. Well, we started a few weeks ago. I, I've been off a couple weeks. Sorry. Uh, went to Australia. Volunteered to do the podcast. From Australia. From Australia. Live from Bondi Beach. Live from Manly Beach. But no takers on that. Uh, and they said, we can't do it because of the artifacting. And, also, it's uh, a video podcast, and we prefer you with your shirt on. Maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> We've yet to find out for I sure. I could do the... the the peck fleck. I'll, I'll do that Don't do the it. entirety of the show. It's too mesmerizing. So let's talk. Uh, a few weeks ago, we were discussing the Warriors and the Warriors. Dubs Dynasty Doomsday Clock. Yes. Yeah. Got it first time. All right. I like that. And throughout the past few months, actually, we've had varying degrees of angst regarding the Warriors since the last time we recorded a podcast. Boogie Cousins, who was great on the, on one of the pods. Great we on our podcast, his, episode three. Yeah, it was great. Check it out in the archives. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, suffered a serious injury, a quad injury. Fortunately, won't need surgery, but he's out. Andrew Bogut, much more important. As we look at this second-round matchup with the Houston Rockets, and I know you're a big Game of Thrones Well, you are, fan. too. I am, well, yeah, I was converted. It took me a long time to get there. But it's not winter is coming. It's Houston is coming. And I don't know who I fear more as I sit on the couch these days, the Night King or the Beard and the Rockets. Because it's kind of funny how both in Game of Thrones and in the Warriors playoff chase here, it's kind of like there's this impending sense of doom creeping in in both the Warriors, and Game of Thrones. So I see Houston kind of as the uh, the Night King and the White Walkers, and they're coming creeping in early, second round. I do not like that. That's too early to face the Rockets. Does James Harden have a dragon at his disposal? That's the question. I, I, I would know. fear him much more if he did. Yeah, I would too. And you know what? The Rockets have been very tough on the Warriors this season, 3-1 and one against the Warriors. So the Warriors have struggled. Obviously, yeah. Steph Curry missed one of those games. Kevin Durant missed one of those games. So uh, usually I am a Warriors maximalist in the sense that I don't think anyone has a better roster than them. Therefore, when they're actually trying and at max effort, I don't see any team as a legitimate threat to them. Uh, but Houston did push him to seven last year in the playoffs, Western Conference Finals, and this is going to be a big challenge. 
It, it will be, but I think one thing, the regular season is completely meaningless because the Warriors, it's the inconvenient truth for them. So whatever they were against the Rockets, it just doesn't matter. The playoffs, the, the, the intensity, the level of focus, hopefully the level of focus for the Warriors is maintained. And interesting how after game two of the Clippers series, I was there when the Warriors blew the, the record 31-point lead. <laughs> and from the moment the Warriors blew the 31-point lead, you could almost see everybody, fans, media, everybody jumping off their bandwagon and jumping right onto the Beards and the Rockets. They were, I mean, everybody just saw this impending doom for the Warriors. And then Kevin Durant has his moment. You know who I am. I'm Kevin Durant. And everybody's, there's turmoil. It seems like there's tension and all this. And then they come out and they take the next two games in Los Angeles. And, and seemingly all is right with the world. Meanwhile, on the other side, the Rockets dominated the Jazz in the first two games of their playoff series, should have lost game three. The Jazz, they gift-wrapped the game. I mean, they couldn't hit a shot. Donovan Mitchell gets a wide-open look at a three with seven seconds left to tie and send the game to overtime, and the crowd going crazy and misses. So That was one of those games where, watching it, you could see Harden was over his first 15 yeah, he shots. Yeah, struggling big time. And I want to talk about how they're guarding him because it may relate to the Warriors. But, but, but Houston was still in the game. The Jazz could not put them away. And it was just like, you know the ending is. You know how this is going to end. Mm -hmm. Houston's going to come back and get him because they're letting these guys hang around. And then the Jazz got an inspired performance from Mitchell in Game 4. So we saw the, the veil of... Uh, you're going to have to edit this because I forgot what I was going to say. Uh, the uh, Don't edit it. Uh, yeah. The, what is the word I'm looking for? The, uh, the, the, the Rockets' aura of invincibility that yeah. they seem to have vanished. And now suddenly you're thinking, well, maybe they're not as great as we thought. And, and maybe the Warriors aren't as bad as we thought a week ago when they blew that lead. And, and I was in the locker room when the Warriors lost. And some players were really upset. But I talked with Andrew Bogut for a few minutes. And he's like... We'll be all right. We'll be fine. This and that's is, what Clay was saying after yeah, the game, too. Yeah. And that's what I was saying after the game. Yeah. I texted you probably a hundred times about how I want to bet my house on game three because <laughs> every time the Warriors get out and get embarrassed like they did in that 31-point blown win, actually lost, they, they always bounce back. I actually like when the Warriors get punched in the mouth from time to time because it refocuses them. It reminds them that they need to actually try. Right. And when they actually try, they're unstoppable. And, of course, Kevin Durant, who had been struggling, bounced back in a major way in that next game as well. So I actually think that was good for them. I, I, do I don't like the team having to play an extra game that was completely unnecessary. Wow. But at the same time, every now and then getting humbled really recharges that team. So all in all, it wasn't the worst thing in the world. If you look at the long haul, the embarrassment that they suffered over that loss, the ridicule that they took, the whole Durant, you, I'm Kevin Durant, you know. All of that kind of, again, reflips the switch it that we keep talking about switch. because it reengages them. If they Think about it the other way. If they had just swept through this first-round series, then you have the, the classic Warriors scenario where they just lean on me. We got this. Yeah, I know it's used to, we got this. Mm -hmm. we, we, you know, we beat them last year. We'll beat them again. And there's some school of thought that the Warriors – well, the, the Rockets lost Trevor Ariza and Luke Mbamute uh, – they still had finished up the year very strong, but they don't have anybody that can defend Kevin Durant. Not that really anybody can do that that easily. Uh, Patrick Beverly annoys him, but there's no Durant stopper on the Rockets at this point. So 
all right, how do the Rockets deal with that? James Harden is better than he was a year ago by all measures, it seems. But not invincible. But not invincible. As we saw. And the other thing that's intriguing about this is how do the Warriors defend against him? Because we've seen the Jazz come out with this funky approach where, you know, if, if you played basketball at any level, the whole idea is, okay, you have the ball, I'm going to be between you and the basket, and that's traditional defense. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you can trap, you can do a lot of other things. But they're doing something so odd and so unorthodox where they're not guarding him straight up. They're taking away his left hand, and in some cases, going behind, playing by, you don't ever play behind somebody. It's very odd. Uh, for the, the sake of, of the YouTube audience, I'll just do this and jump. <laughs> no, switching you places here, again? <laughs> but if, if you're shooting... And then I'm like, you're going to go up for a shot. If and you're, you're on, if you're just listening, be, Larry's I'm behind right me. Here and I'm preventing you from stepping back. That is the strangest defense you could possibly employ to try to jump behind somebody yeah. and, and stay. Like you just give them a free lane to the basket. Yeah. Uh, so that's I don't know if the Warriors are going to do that. The other intriguing thing that I saw earlier in the season was the Lakers uh, used a box and one on James Harden, which is, you know, you, you see it in high school and college occasionally where one guy who's just clearly so much better than everybody else. And so they marked him, if you're familiar with soccer, the entire length of the court. I mean, from the second James Harden started in the backcourt, whether he had the ball or not, there's a guy right here, right <laughs> in this, the whole. It's so annoying if you ever play against somebody that does that. But they would just shadow him. It didn't matter whether he had the ball. 40 feet away from the basket, mm -hmm. not even looking, looking into the crowd, looking for popcorn. They would just... just just like this. And in the first half of that game, the Lakers had the, the Rockets were so discombobulated, it really caused them problems. Now, they got it figured out at halftime and came back, and just being better than the Lakers, they came back to win. But I wonder if, if Steve Kerr will look at those two possible scenarios mm -hmm. and say, okay, we're going to. We know we're going to try to stop James from going left. He's left-handed. He wants to go left every time. But maybe we're going to trick it up a little bit, gimmick it up. Mm -hmm. uh, the The question is, you know, do you really want to give up Clay Thompson and just say, you are the hardened blanket. Wrap him up. Smother him the whole game and don't even worry about scoring. Expend all of your energy on the defensive and just take him out. I don't know, I don't know if that's a great idea. But we'll see how it plays out. This is I mean, going to be interesting. I mean, if they do, I, I still like the Warriors' chances. Even if you take Clay out of it from an offensive perspective, you still have Curry, you still have KD. And I think one thing that we should mention, too, before we move on, as difficult as losing Boogie Cousins is, it almost has, like, freed them up a little bit. Have you noticed that? It's like it, it seems to flow a lot better with Bogut. Well, here's the thing. I think they were so committed the Warriors wanted the boogie experiment to work. So consequently, they would start many of their games by getting him the ball, mm -hmm. making sure he got his offense going, trying to get his three-point shot going. Well, the unintended consequence of that is that Steph is getting fewer shots, Clay is getting fewer shots, and Kevin Durant, you know who I am, is getting way fewer shots. He's racking up those assists. It's, well, to the point where you wonder if he even was trying to make a statement by not shooting, but that's for another day because it seems like we're past that. So... I'm not saying it's better that, that Boogie isn't there because he has dominated Capella when they played in the yeah, regular season. Yeah, it would have been great to have him And to have the, his size, Absolutely. his bulk, and all of that. Uh, he's not a, a shot blocker, but it gives the Rockets one other weapon to deal with. Now it's Bogut setting these gigantic screens, mm -hmm. 
and communicating on defense. And, and, yeah, they play better all defense. They, they, I just think it. Yeah, it's, it seems to be a bit freer. But it's, there's no but, obligation yeah, to get it's more the natural ball to boogie, and that way Durant can get his. They can run their offense, and we'll see what Houston answers with uh, defensively. Because without Ariza there, uh, you get PJ Tucker has a, a bigger role on the defensive end, trying to deal presumably with Durant. Yeah, and I would never say that any team's better without Boogie Cousins. I'm just saying if there is a positive to all of this, it seems to have opened him up a little bit. What's your take on second round versus third round? Because, look, these are the two best teams in the Western Conference. This is going to be the Western Conference Finals, essentially. So So how do you you look at it? Because last year we saw the Rockets, probably because of of fatigue, but Chris Paul pulls the hamstring Mm -hmm. in, uh, what was it, game five, I believe it was, and so, you know, that impacted the way the Rockets finished the series and the Warriors were able to come back to take the last two games. All the Warriors people will say, well, Andre Iguodala also got hurt. Yes, we that was actually five. a huge factor in that series, and people overlooked that. So how do you how do you look at it? I'd much rather see the Rockets in the Western Conference Finals. Okay. Give, give them more time to get worn out, too, because whoever survives this next series is going to be – it's going to be a battle, and I think it's going to be a situation where – I'd be terrified to see them get past the Rockets and then get back to like, ah, we got this now. (laughs) And then here we are in the Western Conference Finals taking our foot off the gas again. Uh, All that being said, I think that the Warriors are easily the favorites here. I think if they get past the Rockets, they should have no problem steamrolling everybody else. The Rockets are the big challenge. Well, clearly, I'm not sure it's steamrolling because I think there's some teams in the Eastern Conference that can give them problems. But I, I would say that... Even though it's probably better for the Rockets, when you look at a third-round matchup, Western Conference final matchup, how much does Andrew Bogut have to give every night now? He's been injury-prone in the past. I mean, his body looks great now. He lost a bunch of weight when he was down in Sydney. By the way, if you have a chance to go to Sydney, Australia, go. Sydney's one of the best cities on the planet. No question about that. So I, if I was him, I would have been reluctant. <laughs> Do I have to leave Sydney? <laughs> uh, it's, it's hard to commute from there, though. It's easy to show up, though, make a playoff run, get another ring, and oh, head back to Sydney. Yeah. A, a conquering as the, hero. As the, as the king. And yeah. he plays for the Sydney Kings, so he can go back like that. And also, look, let's be honest. Andre Iguodala is 35 years old. Yeah. He looks springy. I mean, he threw down a dunk the other night. That was just ridiculous. I mean, I thought he was going to keep going through, the, you know, like the top of the arena, just keep rising, <laughs> like like the Night King. Right? Oh no! <laughs> on his, on just his, keep rising on his, on his dragon, dragon, on his dragon. Uh, um, but he's injury prone as well at yeah. this stage of his career. So maybe it's better to have a fresh Andre and a fresh Bogut. Yeah, and that. No, that's a good point. Uh, that's a really good point. If you're gonna look at the Warriors, their biggest weakness possibly is with Boogie already out and an injury prone Bogut. And obviously what you mentioned with Iguodala. So maybe it is better to get them in, get it over with quicker, and then hope nobody else gets hurt or hope nobody gets hurt like Bogut or Iguodala. But, yeah, the, the sooner they face the Rockets, it could be it could be to their benefit because everyone right now is healthy. And it's interesting that Las Vegas actually has the Warriors as considerable favorites against the Rockets, which... I wouldn't if, disagree with that. If you're just that. looking at the eye test, look, if the Warriors play their best, there's no question. Nobody beats them. Mm-hmm. Nobody beats them. In some respect, it's Warriors versus Warriors. What's their mindset, assuming everybody's healthy? How much do they want it? This is part of the reason. It's year five. These guys are tired. Yeah. They're mentally fatigued. They're physically fatigued. It's why that you haven't seen a team in the finals five years in a row since the Celtics of the 60s. Now, LeBron... 
I mean, it really makes what LeBron did going eight straight times mm-hmm. to the finals. I mean, he's clearly he's not a mere mortal. Um, maybe LeBron is the night king. No, oh, all sorts of twists if and he turns. He shows up as what a if, member of what the if Rockets. LeBron then, showed yeah, up yeah. instead of Bran. It's Bron, Bron, Bron. <laughs> that would I think that's people would not be able to handle that. They would the, the that would be ridiculous. People, that would be absurd. That'd be a terrible way to twist this. That's thing. more of a Saturday Night Live bit. It's, yeah, potentially. Yeah. So one thing that happens in the playoffs is these eternal press conferences before yeah. games, after games, every game. And one thing that we're seeing a lot lately, childish behavior coming from the usual suspects, I'd probably say. You know, like with Russell Westbrook in his next question. Next question. Next question. Next question. Next question. Next question. Non-answers. And I think that's become a bit of a problem in the league. And Steve Kerr spoke out about it, too, in that in the NBA, there's definitely like a media player relationship dynamic that I think is important for both sides. And then when you have players just flat out disrespecting it, it's hard to communicate their message. It's hard to ask the questions and get any information. And clearly he has some beef with the writer asking these questions, I would imagine. But this is the kind of thing that I don't think it's a good look for the NBA. And the NBA has been one of the most progressive and socially smart leagues out there. So I'm wondering, is there something to do about this? Is it a huge problem? And how do the media dynamics with the league take shape? I mean, what is your opinion on this? Well, I think, first of all, when you're Russell Westbrook or you're Durant, who's had his issues with the media, I think there's a tremendous lack of understanding of how this process works. Because with KD, let's say, first of all, they all have so much money that, you know, it's FU money, basically. Mm-hmm. They can do whatever mm-hmm. they want. Mm-hmm. Their families are going to be great. Uh, everybody, every, every generation of Westbrooks and Durant, they're all, for years and years and years and years, they're all taken care of because these guys have been rewarded, and deservedly so. They're great basketball players. You know, I'm not all for just the owners keeping the money. I mean, let's get, yeah. the, you know, so I'm fine with him making $30 million, $35 million, and he makes you know that much from Nike all these guys do so fine 70 million if that's what the the going rate is for the best players on the planet I'm fine with that but what it does is it empowers them to say you know it doesn't matter what you find me almost because I've got more money than you can really legally find Mm -hmm. me given the collective bargaining agreement so so that's part of it is that they're they're bulletproof they're indestructible from that standpoint so they just do whatever they want now what I'm more bothered by, because let's face it, you know, it's you don't often get fantastic sound bites out of these news conferences. It doesn't not always, happen. No. Occasionally, you get something, uh, so it's it's not like you're getting, uh, you know, the, the secret codes or or anything like that. What I have a problem with, and I'll just use Durant because we deal with him more, is that you you can't say I only want the media to focus on basketball when. Look, I'm happy to, and I love the fact that he donates so much money to charity. Mm-hmm. And then when he does something for inner city kids back in the you know, Baltimore area, Maryland, that we cover that. I think it's great. Wait a second. He's got a show on ESPN Plus, The Boardroom. That's Kevin Durant's show. You are the media, dude. You are the media. So. If you are the media, you can't choose not to be. The whole, the reason you are making tens of millions of dollars a year is because ESPN and Turner 
pay TV contracts. all this money to yes. promote you and your league. If you don't want to answer questions, go down to the Y and play for hours and nobody's going to bother you. If you, I mean, it's just a simple obligation. Look, I get it. I get it. He can't go anywhere without people bothering him, asking him every day with the media. Look, you covered the A's, the you know, day in and day, day out. In, it day gets out. every tired. day. In fact, baseball is worse. 162 games. I don't want to see anybody for 162 straight games. So I get that part of it, where they're just it's it's constant obligations. But you have to under, understand your source of revenue is largely TV, so that you can't say. I just I don't want to be on TV. I don't want to I don't want to deal with the media anymore, because that's where all all you want to play for free. Play for free. Nobody will ask you a question. Yeah, and we had an issue with this about a month or two ago, where Kyrie Irving was complaining about the media too, while wearing a hat with his movie title on it, Uncle Drew, which is it's just hello, it's hello. Yeah, it's a little hypocrite, you know. But if you're going to talk about this too, one thing with basketball, and it might be a problem that bubbles up more because, like in baseball. You know, there's a 25-man roster. So as a reporter, I can go around and bug different players, different position groups on different days and kind of filter it out. Football, much bigger roster, 53-man roster. There's a lot more people to talk to. In basketball, it's a much smaller roster, and you're talking to the same guys, the newsmakers, every single time out. So there's less escape there. Yeah, and I think the stars have to speak. Look, you could be as boring as you want, but you're obligated to say something. And I think, I don't know whether it's a league mandate or really OKC. Now, you know, Russ is the biggest fish in their pond and they're grateful that he stayed and he took the money. A lot of guys wouldn't go there. Mm -hmm. Paul George decided partly because Russ was there and he thought the dynamics would be great. So I understand the team doesn't want to get on him. But if I'm the league, I just say, look, if you're going to do next question, next question, next question, we start the fines at $100,000, and I'm going to double them for every game. And we'll, and that it'll be over instantaneously. That would be yeah. the end of that. Now, the union would balk and make a big stink, but if you just throw it out there, and I, even though they're, they're, make, they're making $30 million a year on the court or, or, or more than that, 100000 will get your attention. Oh, yeah, definitely. So... Now- yeah, let me let me bring this back to one point. See, we have two TV people sitting here complaining about players not answering questions I, on TV. Look, I don't, that's I don't, not yeah, that's not the point though. This is a team issue, and here's why. I remember I was at a Warriors game many many moons ago. We believe years. They lost a very tough game. Baron Davis would sit in a corner. Uh, there was a lot of younger players on the team too, and I remember everyone was devastated after the loss. And what happened? Stephen Jackson got up, went right to the middle of the locker room. And he took on the entire media. And the reason he did that is because if he could sit there and answer all the questions as a veteran leader, then we're not asking all these tough questions to a bunch of heartbroken younger players that maybe aren't ready to answer them. Well, and as a leader of the team in Russell Westbrook, you have to step up and answer those questions because if you don't, guess what happens? They go and they ask other players on your team those questions that maybe aren't as well equipped to answer them. And I think that can be a problem. So it's part of it is like a veteran leadership thing. So part of it is, is biting the bullet for your team and for your teammates. So it's not just like TV guys complaining. There's actually a team dynamic to this too. And that's why you see certain captains or leaders step up in these moments and take on all comers. I thought you were going to go in another direction with that when you said uh, the young players, because think about this from the league standpoint. 
Russell Westbrook is idolized by a lot of people. I mean, I love his energy. He's tireless. He plays, you know, he plays all 82. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of stars don't. You can take nights off and relax at times. Now you can quarrel about his jump shot and all this stuff, but, but he brings the energy every single game. But imagine this scenario. Imagine a young player, and I'm going to give you his name on the back end, and you'll see how it makes more sense, is watching Russ and go next question, next question, and laugh, and then avoid answering anything of consequence because he doesn't like the writer. What if young Zion Williamson is watching the TV and he goes, you know what? I think that's how I'm going to handle it if I get questions I don't like. And then you have the biggest star perhaps since LeBron James coming into the league, having learned next question, next question, next question is the way to deal with the media. That's a disaster for the NBA. Mm -hmm. And think about 50 other young players who might be watching this, some in that locker room, some who are in high school. You want to stop this right now. These guys have to understand where their money is coming from. And it's not... Look, you know, if if we have a a bad show, I know it's Never happens. But the last (laughs) thing I would want is super producer Leonard coming up to me going, well, Larry, uh, you know, yeah, your voiceovers, you seemed a little tired and flat. Uh, it looked like you weren't into that show. Would you, would you, how would you ask the question? How I would ask the question? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Let's see. Uh, it seemed like you were completely distracted. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Like, were you really in it? Was your heart in there or was it not? You're questioning my heart after all I have done for this company. Next question. Next question, Leonard. (laughs) Now, speaking of questions from Leonard, it's a very nice segue into what we do every show. Oh, you're not a part of you were not a part of the pre-show meeting because he doesn't want to do a question. this week. Leonard, you don't want to do a question this week? No, because you have something else that we're going to talk about that I I mean, we're already at the 25 mark. All right. On this podcast. All right. So and I you're... have so many theories about Game of Thrones. All right. We'll so, be at the 45 so this mark essentially is your question then. But the yeah. problem with this is that he's Leonard is disembodied voice. We, we need to put a camera on you if you want to be this involved, don't you think? Or you would rather be disembodied? Voice? Disembodied. You got to be disembodied when you're talking about Game of Thrones. I mean, there's so just, many things. Well, some people are going to be disembodied. Uh, coming yeah. Up in episode three of the final season. There's no question about so, that. Absolutely. Yeah, we tell a story every show. We'll, we'll do it this way. And I thought for this type of tell me a story, it's only fitting where we tell our favorite Game of Thrones theories coming up. And also... Maybe try to decide who is going to survive what could be the epic battle of Winterfell. Well, people are other, going to perish. A lot in, of people are going to perish. In show three. There's no question about that. Before we get into the the, uh, the predictions, can I just say, of course, Vegas has a take on all this. So you can bet. Okay. What you do we got? Bet. Okay. So the, some of the wildest bets. Uh, and I apologize in advance for people who don't watch Game of Thrones. It's interesting. There's people that either watch it or there's people that absolutely at this point, even if they might like it, refuse to watch because they don't want to be like they're resistant. Do you, you find that? You, that like, yeah, I mean, you have the the hardcore people on both sides. The yeah. hardcore, no, I'm never going to watch it. I'm never going to watch I don't care. And I'll then do. the ones that are like, how dare you say that? Yeah. Well, if you're one of those people, now's the time because you don't have to wait week to week to week. You can just binge, and that's the way yeah. to go. So, so, all right. So, the, some of the wildest bets: Will Arya wear a Littlefinger face at any point uh, in the next few episodes? Will Cersei give birth? 
We're not even really <laughs> sure if she's no, pregnant. No, she will or not. not give birth. Uh, does Does Tyrion have a secret plot with Cersei, who refused to send her army? to fight the Night King. I'm going to go with group. a no. Solid no. no. She no. gave the crossbow to Bronn to kill both Tyrion and Jaime Lannister. She wouldn't yeah. have done that if she had a plot with him. Okay. So let's rule that so, one out. So uh, another uh, Vegas thing. I guess this is flipped. Uh, you know who is expected to die first in hmm. season three? You want to take it? Take it? Uh, I'm going to assume Sansa. Incorrect. Hmm. This is, I mean, I don't know who's going to die, but uh, this is what Vegas, what the odds are. And I'll just give you a hint. The odds initially, don't look at my paper. I'm not uh, looking, were, I'm looking were, at you. No, well, I, you know, I saw you took a side eye glance. I can see with the glasses. Uh, I know, now you can see you look so smart. Uh, anyway, uh, last week he was an underdog by a wide margin. Like the odds, I think, were 50 to 1. And now it's like 5 to 1 or 3 to 1 with this person. Well, I gave you a hint because I said he. Do, do I have to pick now? I'm just going to tell you. you just tell me. I'm yeah, just, just tell me. Yeah. Jamie Lannister. People yeah. think Jamie Lannister yeah. will die first. Yeah. Jamie Lannister to me is the, the Kingslayer. He's the martyr in this story right now. He's kind of the martyr. He's he was the Golden Knight. He's been humbled. He's come back to serve under Brienne Tarth, and and he's he's not the fighter he once was. I think he's here to make sure he goes out the right way. I think he's the motivation. Honestly, I mean, he comes into Winterfell and second episode he's now the motivation for a lot of people like brands now a knight because of him like everyone's feeling something because of jamie that's the thing like he's the motivation right now he will be the one to die oh you're certain of that oh yeah i thought you were giving him reasons that you would not kill him off but oh, okay. no, he All is right. going to die and that's what's going to cause cersei to go crazy but i'll get into my theory later <laughs> okay well i i think i know who's going to die who do you think it's going to be i think the hound is going to die first and he's going to die saving aria Ooh. I like that twist, and if you, you follow the show, you know the relationship that they have where she uh, you know, has a whole list of people that she wants to kill, and he's on that list, but he saved her at times and uh, so on and so forth, and he's kind of like a, a bounty hunter, a professional killer yeah, himself. Yeah. I think that's my theory. It, just, it would be a nice plot twist. Here's, here's why I think that's not going to happen. Because I think they have to get through the Battle of Winterfell, and, and then they have to find a way to go head-to-head -head with Cersei. And I cannot imagine the Hound going out before he fights the Mountain. The brothers oh, have to clash. Oh, no, you're right. Okay, They've been you're setting right. it up yeah, this yeah, whole yeah, yeah. time. Okay, the Mountain right. and the you're Hound right. have you're to right. go toe-to-toe. -to -toe. Right. If this show ends without the Clegane brothers throwing down, I'm going to be disappointed. That's a good point. All right, so who's dying first? Ooh. Uh, I do actually like the Jamie Lannister pick. I do like that one. Let me see. Who else's arc has really no more, no more meaning at this point? Jorah Mormont, maybe. <laughs> I like I like Jorah. He did get the uh, Valerian steel but, but sword he from would, Sam, he though. Would, so. I mean, it would be symbol. He would literally, uh, you know, go down on your sword because he's he, he loves Danny. Exactly. And, uh, He'll throw himself down. All right, and you know who else has died? Jon Snow, Aegon Targaryen. Well, he already he's back. already been dead. Yeah. You're. I don't know. You giving me a pick? I mean, is he really a central? I'm character? gonna go with Jorah. I don't okay. know why. I think All people right. would be sympathetic you about it. You got Jamie Lannister? I got Jamie Lannister. Okay, that seems to be I got good. Jamie and then second is Tyrion. Really? A little I, early for him to go out. I don't think so. I think they've been setting it up for a while. Okay. All right. Yeah. Interesting. I could see that. So, here's my theory. And yeah. I've had this theory going in from episode 1. I'm slightly less confident about it now, but my theory is this. In episode 1, they made it a point to point out how many people live beyond the walls of King's Landing. And I think, as a seer, the Night King knows that. 
And if you're going to march your army into Winterfell to clash with the biggest army of the living that's not only armored with dragonglass, all the Valerian steel swords at this point are in Winterfell, and two dragons, why would you go head on into that? That's the biggest force assembled at this point. What I would do is send some people towards Winterfell as a misdirection, end around straight to King's Landing on the dragon, and sack King's Landing, because if you can take a million people and wipe them out, they come back now on your side, the army of the dead, and then you go to Winterfell, because Winterfell is low on food supply, it's the winter, and the Night King's army doesn't need to eat. They got all the time in the world. Yeah, they could just wait them out. Yeah, there's so what I would do is, is commit a tiny bit of source to Winterfell, go to King's Landing, wipe out King's Landing. Cersei's there overconfident, thinking she's going to be able to take out the scraps of whichever army wins the battle. She's woefully underprepared to take on the Night King's army. And on top of that, her forces, we don't know where the Lannister army is right now, but we do know she has the Gold Company, and that's a bunch of sellswords. The second they see the living dead show up, they're out. They're in it for money. They're not in it for loyalty. It's an interesting take. So the Night King will cut through King's Landing in seconds. I felt better about your take until I saw the end of episode two, exactly. where it looked like the Night King and all of his dudes were ready to, to, yeah. to get it on. And so. that would mean the whole second episode was just a misdirection, which I'm not sure they're really committed to, but I'm going to stick with my theory. Okay. Just because it's, I think it would be an interesting way to, if I were to attack Winterfell, that's how I would do it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think you told me that one. I think, was it you that said that or someone else's? It's been a theory floating. That's my jam. That they put people out there to be a distraction, but I don't think so. A couple of reasons why. One, the Night King is specifically going after Bran, specifically going after him. That's why they're there. He's marked him. Yeah. So I don't think, and plus, I really don't believe that he's going to go to king's landing immediately but i also think that cersei is the one to be worried about and not the night king so episode one first thing i noticed we see cersei king's landing we see the mountain all decked out in black like we've seen him but we also saw four other soldiers all decked out in black which we had never seen before all of them with the same black faces looking like she's making her own army of the Whoa. dead. All of a sudden, we now see something that we haven't seen before, which is more of these shrouded soldiers behind Cersei. If you go back to, to episode one of this season, you'll see these weird random soldiers that you don't see in episode two. But at the same time, we never see the gold company. She also was upset that the elephants weren't there. Here's my theory. Herb Grand Maester is able to bring people back from the dead, right? Yeah. We know Highburn. this. Right. So that means when the quote-unquote gold company came, she told them, our city is yours. We never see anything more. What if she had them killed? Bringing them back for her own army of the dead. The reason this theory sticks with me is because when she saw White Walker for the first time, she was intrigued, not afraid. Mm. She wanted it. She wanted the White Walker. And, and we know Euron Greyjoy said he did kill some of the gold company for cheating at what is a dice? Yeah, coming in. So she probably so maybe took that's those where those people. Ones. Yeah. And on top of that, if you had dead elephants, if you had oh, elephants geez. that were of the undead, that would be an incredible boon to your army. My theory is that Cersei is going to be the formidable foe. I really don't think that uh, the Battle of Winterfell. I mean, there are going to be 
many people that are going to die, but I think they are going to get rid of the Night King. Really? I, so soon? In episode I, three? I think so, because I think she's the actual threat. She's yeah. the real threat. She has been experimenting on things. We don't know what they've been doing. Well, remember when they brought back the mountain, he wasn't. He was a little out of whack for a while there. But now he's... Well, now he's very much... By the way, if you follow the mountain on Instagram, man, I think he just did a deadlift of like 1,000 pounds. I, wow. I believe he won some uh, the latest Strongest Man contest. He comes to the Bay Area once yeah. a year and competes in the Scottish Games in Pleasanton. Really? Well, yeah. we got to do a story with him. We do have to Bjorn, do a story with him. What, Bjorn Thornson, I think I that's believe. something like that. Yeah, he's 6'9", yeah. 375. So that's an incredible he theory palsy. that Leonard has. He does? Yeah, he has Bell Palsy. I did not know that. He, he uh, Half of his face is now uh, paralyzed. You you mean as the mountain? No. No, in, in real, real life. In real life. Yeah, he has oh. Bell's palsy. Interesting. That, that is also that's new a, knowledge that I did I'm not, not know. That's a question I'm not going to ask him about. I heard another great theory before we wrap this segment up. Um, Carmen Q, great follow on social media. We are tweeting back and forth. And she said that she thinks that they're sending everybody down into the crypts, all the, all the children and women right. and elderly. And she thinks the Night King is going to come and resurrect Ned Stark and all the, the past Starks that are buried down Ooh. in the crypts because there's a scene in one of the trailers where Arya looks like she's terrified running through the crypts and you know nothing scares her at this point. What if she comes face to face and has to kill her father? With the undead version of Ned Stark. Ooh. Oh, that's excellent. See? That's, that's not my theory, take. but it's a great take. There's a lot that's going to happen here. And the last note is um, the director that directs episode three directed Hard Home and The Battle of the Bastards. Which oh, are the two be biggest battles that we've seen. Now, that one's supposed to be particularly long, longer than any of the battles so, that we've yeah. seen. Yeah, yeah, so we know that this next episode, the first two have been a lot of talking and a lot of scene setting, but we know this next episode is going to be an all-out war, which is just crazy. All right, news of the week. You know, I, I thought we almost should end right there, um, but I'll give you the one news story of the week, and I'm sure everybody has seen the Notre Dame Cathedral fire that took place on uh, April the 15th. And I came across this story that was fascinating because I did not know that they kept honeybees in the cathedral. Hmm. And not just a couple of honeybees, 180,000 honeybees. That's almost wow. like an army. Yeah. Uh, you know. Anyway, so... Now they make honey, and that's the whole idea. Why, you know, why they were raising the honeybees, and apparently the hives were about a hundred feet below the main roof, and the three beehives are still in place, and apparently are intact. And that's incredible. The odd thing about the bees is that the smoke doesn't bother the bees. In fact. Beekeepers use smoke to kind of sedate bees, and um, they don't have lungs. So <laughs> smoke doesn't have the same impact on bees. It just kind of puts them to sleep. So the only real risk was that it would get too hot because wax melts at 63 degrees, and if the hives had reached the temperature where the wax or the honey would have melted and, and essentially glued the bees together oh god it would have oh, been a no. disaster but yeah. hey the bees are okay they survived the hundred i didn't even know they had bees at the notre dame cathedral but the bees are okay unfortunately it's probably going to take five or six years to rebuild the whole cathedral and they'll do it with more fire resistant materials and uh, make it bigger and stronger and better mm -hmm. 
With bees. With bees. They could have the bees build the roof. They could, but yeah. I'm not sure how Make sturdy it out of wax. that would be. I've actually been there. It's gorgeous. It's one of the most impressive architectural structures you'll ever see. It's it's just beautiful. And one thing that uh, I was really worried about is there's this incredible ancient, like, I don't know if ancient, but old stained glass windows and, and just amazing relics and things that are in there. Architecturally, just, just spectacular. So it was really sad to see it burning. And the funny thing that I didn't know is more people actually go there than the Eiffel Tower when they visit. Really? I had no idea that I would have thought the Eiffel Tower was the number one destination. More people actually stopped by Notre Dame, which is why the reaction that day was just pure shock and, and, and sadness and just disappointment from so many people because it's a sacred, amazing place. Given the lines at the Eiffel Tower on a daily basis, that's a stunning fact because yeah. you have to get up real early just to get in line to go to the top of the Eiffel Tower. Basketball, Game of Thrones, media relations, honeybees in Notre Dame. You're not going to get through this podcast without learning something new. Guarantee you'll learn you. something. It won't be very <laughs> useful, most likely, but you'll learn something every week right here on Corner 29 with authority. So hopefully you're entertained. Don't forget, you can subscribe to our show anywhere Podcasts are available for the most part. iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, we're all there. You can watch us. All of this was actually also on video, so if you're a podcast listener, you can check us out on YouTube and watch the whole thing. Yeah, that's why I have the makeup on. Which is why, yeah, Larry has the makeup. And, and when he's attacking me on defense and everything, right. uh, you will actually see what's happening. You won't get to smell Meatball Paul, but he's here in spirit, believe me. Do we want to mention what's been hanging and hanging and waiting and the whole... We're dangerously close <laughs> to to coveted giveaways of prizes. Amazing giveaways. Amazing prizes. We're getting there really soon. Make sure you check us out, abc7news.com slash with authority. And we'll let you know when we're ready to auction off. Not auction off. Give away. Give away. Give away. They'll have to Literally, do something. You can just have them. They'll have, no, they'll have to subscribe it's a contest, at least. It's, but there's more than one prize. Anyways. There's, no, there's a lot of stuff. Yeah. Once it get past, we get past legal then we can actually give stuff away. If we can't win you over legitimately, we will bribe you to do so. Absolutely. First, we have to bribe the lawyers. That's how we get past legal. Don't forget to subscribe. Just hit the button. Aloha. We out.